Welcome to episode 39, The Truth About Student Loans and the Cost of College. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on Facebook or Twitter, in the topics such as student loans, the Federal Reserve, the Electoral College, the Bill of Rights, or the Democratic Party comes up, please share the specific TruthQuest episode with your debate partner. If you are listening to this on the Apple Podcast app, please take a minute and scroll down to the podcast page and give it a five-star rating. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest podcast patronage page. That link is available on the show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com. The easiest way to stay up to date on the podcast is to subscribe to it on iTunes or Google Play Music. It's also available on Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, and now on YouTube. Finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. So the news is filled with stories about millennials and their student loans. We are told that because of student loans, they are waiting longer to start families, waiting longer to move out of their parents' home, and getting married. Two popular refrains are, a generation crushed by debt, and millions of Americans now enter adulthood with a financial burden not faced by previous generations. I have two kids of college age right now, A third graduated two years ago, so I am living this podcast episode. While you can find dozens of stories and blog posts bemoaning the student loan crisis, very few examine why we are experiencing this phenomenon. What is the truth about student loan debt and the cost of college? Let's first examine some numbers. According to figures from the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis, the average annual growth in wages was about 0.3% between January 1989 and January 2016. Over that same time period, the cost to attend university increased nearly eight times faster than wages. According to the BLS, Bureau of Labor Statistics, college costs have risen by 945% since 1980, while all other costs have risen just under 200%. Since 2009, college tuition is up more than double the pace of health insurance or other consumer prices. According to LendEDU.com blog, in the past 20 years, tuition at all types of colleges, private, public, in-state, public, out-of-state, has more than doubled and in some cases has more than tripled. Not everyone bemoans the rising cost. You get idiots like David Leonhardt writing for the New York Times who makes the case that maybe student loan debt isn't so bad because after all, the kids who incur it are largely college educated, duh, and likely to earn above average wages, so it won't be so hard to pay off. Now, isn't that just wonderful analysis by the New York Times? No questions like, is a sociology degree really worth 150 grand? Or is it moral to saddle kids and their parents with these asinine levels of debt? How can anyone, whether a writer for the New York Times or a college administrator, justify the price hikes? In a time when technology has lowered the cost of education delivery to next to nothing, as the Post on Economic Collapse blog puts it, somehow the college education industry has convinced all of us that we desperately need their services and that we shouldn't care about the price. So why has the cost to attend college skyrocketed? A quick Econ 101 lesson one that is hopefully taught at some of these overpriced institutions, can help. Simple supply and demand. Demand is up so the colleges can increase supply, make more room for students, or raise prices, or a little bit of both. So why is demand up? 
Folks like the New York Times writer I just mentioned will claim demand is up partially because college grads make more money over their lifetime than do high school grads. But hasn't that always been the case? That is not a new phenomenon, so that explanation doesn't work. The real reason the cost of college has risen so dramatically is because of government subsidies in the forms of student loans, grants, and tax credits. These subsidies and loans drive consumption. Consumption drives demand. Demand drives prices. So with unrelenting demand for their product, colleges have no incentive to cut costs. And if you've been on a college campus in the last decade, they are finding lots of ways to spend that money. Student loans did not exist in their present form until the federal government got into the business of guaranteeing loans made by private lenders back in 1965. Like all government programs, they are sold to us as having good intentions. And with no adult sitting in Congress willing to say no, and no president willing to veto such bills, everyone gets to ignore the obvious future implications of the current policy or law. In this case, we go from having about 3,300 higher education institutions in the United States in 1980 to almost 4,400 by 2016. Secured financing of student loans resulted in a surge of students applying for college. This increase in demand was in turn met with an increase in price because the universities aren't stupid. More demand equals higher prices, just like any other business. The government's backing of student loans caused the price of higher education to rise artificially. Without the government's easy money, the demand would not be as high. Can anyone make an argument that makes sense to take out a $165,000 loan for a degree that leads to a job where the average annual salary is $35,000? Mitch Daniels, the head of Purdue University, correctly identifies the problem of third-party payer in a column for the Washington Post. He lays out the scenario of how to design an economic sector guaranteed to cost too much, like college. He said, first, sell a product deemed a necessity with little or no option for the customer to avoid. Next, you arrange to get paid for inputs, not outputs. How much we do, not how well we do. You accomplish this by making sure actual results are difficult or impossible to measure with confidence. On a related note, a Wall Street Journal article referenced a study showing that standardized tests indicate four years of college often adds little to a student's analytical abilities, and four in ten college graduates lack the critical thinking skills necessary for entry-level professional work. So what the hell are we paying these astronomical rates for? Okay, back to Mitch Daniels. Next, you layer in a, a pile of complex federal regulations to run up administrative costs. Then, and here's the clincher, persuade the marketplace to flood it with payments, not from the end user, but from some third party. This will assure that the customer, insulated from the true costs, will behave irrationally, often over-consuming and abandoning the consumeristic judgment he practices in the grocery store or while internet shopping. Presto, guaranteed excessive spending. He goes on to say, oh sure, this must be American healthcare. Well, the answer is correct but incomplete. It worked so well in healthcare, we decided to repeat the formula with higher education. By evading accountability for quality, regulating it heavily, and open a hydrant of public subsidies in the form of government grants and loans, we have constructed another system of guaranteed overruns. It's not an accident that the only three pricing categories that have outpaced healthcare over the recent decades are college tuition, room and board, and books. Just like I explained in episode 9, The Truth About Healthcare in America, once the federal government gets involved, you are guaranteed a poor result 
by any capitalistic measures. So where does all the money go? Well, it goes to students and their parents, of course. Thanks to the government guarantees, the money flows easily to both. So yes, they are saddled with debt, but where does it go from there? You probably will not be surprised to know that, just like with most local school systems, the money doesn't necessarily go into the classroom. If you take any university system and examine the historical trends of the number of professors and the number of administrators, you will arrive at a very sobering conclusion. The latter is flat or slightly up. The former is up, and it's up big. A study of the California university system found that in 2011 that over the 33 years from 1975 to 2008, the number of full-time faculty in the California State University system had barely increased at all going from about 11,600 to about 12,000. The number of administrators had multiplied like mushrooms from 3,000 to 12,000. Higher tuition is feeding an ever-expanding bureaucracy. The article continues, there are armies of functionaries, vice presidents, associate vice presidents, assistant vice presidents, provosts, associate provosts, vice provosts, assistant provosts, deans, deanlets, and darlings each commanding staffs and assistants. In turn, the ranks of the administrators have expanded at nearly twice the rate of the faculty, while administrative staffs have outgrown the academics by nearly a factor of five. No wonder college is so expensive. According to the Department of Education, administrative positions at colleges and universities grew by 60% between 1993 and 2009, which Bloomberg reported was 10 times the rate of growth of tenured faculty positions. An administrative bloat is clearly contributing to the overall cost of higher education. Professor Richard Vendor from Ohio University said, Colleges have efficiently confiscated federal loan and grant money designated for students and used it to help fund an academic arms race that has given us climbing walls, lazy rivers, movie theaters, bowling alleys, and lavish athletic facilities. Oh, and million-dollar university presidents. He goes on to point out the declining literacy rates among college students and how there's such a massive mismatch between the students' labor market expectations and the realities in the job market. So I have an alternative idea. How about the federal government get out of the student loan business? I can't find it in the Constitution. Federal government involvement in education by any means is unconstitutional, plain and simple. The Department of Education should be abolished, as should federal involvement in student loans completely. Listen to episode 3, The Truth About the Constitution, to learn more about this. If the federal government were to get out of this business, all the universities and colleges could actually compete for business based on merit rather than sit back fat and lethargic gorging on the government subsidies of their customers. As I mentioned, the easy money drives consumption, which drives demand, which drives up prices. The numbers simply don't lie. There's too many unqualified kids going to four-year school anyway. Many would be better served going to a vocational education program or community college and actually learning a marketable skill. Who really thinks a four-year degree is worth eighty dollars to $120,000? At what point does it seem like a good investment of time, effort, and money? You could buy into hundreds of franchise businesses for that kind of investment. You could travel the world in luxury for that kind of money. You could start your own nonprofit or for-profit business for that kind of money. So how do we get here? Let's take a quick look at a timeline of the unconstitutional history of student loans. It started way back, 1840, the first student loans were offered to students attending Harvard University. The federal government got involved in 1944 with the GI Bill, 
which allowed World War II veterans to attend college for free or for very cheap. Fast forward to 1958. Federal student loans are first offered under the National Defense Education Act. 1965, the Higher Education Act is established. This provided federal guarantee of private loans. 1966, the National Association of Federal Aid Administration is created to monitor financial aid throughout the nation. See how this works? They create a problem, then they create an agency to monitor the problem. 1972, the Basic Education Opportunity Grant, which was eventually called the Pell Grant, is created to help needy students attend college. 1992, the Higher Education Amendments of 1992 created FAVSVA, the Direct Lending Program, and unsubsidized Stafford loans. 1993, the Student Loan Reform Act officially implements the Direct Lending Program. Under this program, the government directly lends to borrowers as opposed to through a private institution. That's a brilliant idea. 2005, the Higher Education Reconciliation Act reduces loan fees from 4% to 1% and allows graduate students to take out PLUS loans. In 2008, many private lenders backed out of the student loan program. 2010, legislation proposed under the Obama administration eliminates the Federal Family Education Loan Program and requires all new federal loans to be direct loans. Private lenders begin offering private student loans to students independently from the government. That's a good thing. So I went through that history for two reasons, most obviously because it's relevant to the topic at hand, student loans and the cost of college. But more important is the lesson it reinforces about federal government's unconstitutional overreach. Every federal fiscal disaster starts out innocently enough, impacting very few people, but ultimately ends up being an absolute cluster. Think Social Security, the Federal Reserve, the income tax, Medicare, Medicaid, Obamacare, student loans. Hell, even consider some of our military incursions. We're in Afghanistan for 16 years? This is ludicrous. Literally, the federal government has the opposite of the Midas touch. Everything they touch turns to shit. Instead of the three branches of government doing their job and protecting the Constitution, they ignore it and trample it. The education system, student loan debt, and the rising cost of college are all perfect examples. So what's the result of all this federal government lunacy? Hmm. Currently, there's over $1.5 trillion in outstanding student loan debt. There is nothing quite like allowing tuition rates to rise 7-8% per year for years on end while making more federal dollars available for students to cover those costs. Can you think of a better way for a 22-year-old to start off his career with $100,000 in student loan debt for a watered-down four-year degree? As I mentioned at the top of the show, we are enslaving the next generation as they come out of the gate. Why should you care? Because it's completely avoidable, it's unnecessary, because it's immoral, because it's unconstitutional, and because it's unfair. I want to conclude this episode with an economic lesson from a very unlikely source, but this useful idiot's observations about the crisis of rising costs of college demonstrates that it doesn't take a PhD economist to understand what is going on here. I give you former president and on-again, off-again Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden. As I wrote in my book, Critical Thinking, Biden, who is no stranger to big government, admitted that government intervention via subsidies and loans contributes to the incessant increases in college tuition rates by preventing, get this, free market mechanisms to go to work. He admitted that government subsidies have impacted rising tuition costs. However, he argued that had the government not increased Pell Grants, millions of students would not have attended college. 
He went on to admit that in a free market, college tuition would have been lower because there would be fewer people going to school. So I don't accept the vice president's premise here. First of all, what is wrong with fewer people going to four-year college? Why, why can't people go to trade school, community college, or just get a job after high school? Secondly, in typical liberal economic logic, Biden assumes fewer people would attend because the government was not involved. I would argue that if the institutions became more responsive to their customers, the students, instead of to the current customer, the federal government, prices would decrease, making college more accessible and less expensive. That would allow more students to attend, not less. Unfortunately, the excess dollars available to students through federal student loan programs has sent a signal to all higher education institutions that there is more money available to pay for their services. With more money available to purchase a particular good or service, price always goes up. It's called inflation. Please join the conversation at Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. Thank you.